Powered a dream, cowboys. Welcome, everybody. It's the HBO Boys Podcast. We're talking today. It's our His Dark Materials Season 1 Catch-Up Series, Part 1, Episodes 1 through 4. Different directors on those four episodes, but hey, that's fine. They're all written by Jack Thorne, which is a great name for a protagonist in a spy movie. I'm James, and that was Ryan. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm the guy who said, Howdy Dream Cowboys. Why I said it? That's nebulous, and also not incredibly important. It will be at the beginning. It's how you know the podcast has started. Also, our voices are happening right now over some intro music. The same intro music from the show, which I would argue is goddamn stellar. It is up there with Game of Thrones intro music for getting me hyped to watch an episode of television. Do you like the intro music, James? Does it get you jazzed? I do. I like the intro music. I think we've got a lot of good intro music from HBO shows this year. Even Raised by Wolves, which we did not review highly, really good intro music. I don't think we ever talked about that, but this is His Dark Materials. As you said recently, this is a catch-up episode for His Dark Materials. We are the HBO boys, boys with a Z. We do many shows on HBO. Speaking of, by the way, we do a lot of extra bonus content that you can get over on patreon.com slash HBO boys. I know, it is pretty neat, and it's just a dollar a month. We do a D&D campaign that we're about to put up the second part. After we record it next week up there, it's a dollar, a bunch more content. But anyway, this is a His Dark Materials crash course, basically, where both James and I were not book readers, which to be fair, no. you should have been. You you read mm-hmm. books. I don't read books. You read books. What, what's wrong with you? Well, to, to show you how, how much I, I read books, uh, I, until I went to the Wikipedia of this book, I was like, ah, yes. His Dark Materials by Neil Gaiman, of course. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah. you know, I went on for several weeks thinking that that was the case. No, not Neil Gaiman, Philip Pullman. Although, to be fair, they are kind of in similar wheelhouses, so. It's sci-fi fantasy. Philip Pullman wrote a trilogy of books of which one book is going to be made into one season of television that we are all about to watch together a few weeks prior to season two, episode one airing. Season two, also going to be one book. Season three, the third book. So it's only going to be three series as of right now. That is what HBO and BBC has declared. We should we should give a shout out to our patron, Major Woody, who has been agitating to watch Dark Materials for years like, mm. when are you guys going to get on that shit? Well, I guess the, the show's only been out for two years. But sure. he's been pushing. And, and uh, Major Woody, this one's for you, B. Seriously. It's the only reason this is happening. And I've tried to watch his Dark Materials once in my life. Twas a few years ago. Again, two years, probably. Because that's how long it's been in existence. And I got to the part in the first episode where the master tries to poison lord asriel and i was like why is he doing that that's weird and then i fell asleep so at that point i had just like a sour taste in my mouth about his dark materials i was like who's he what materials are we speaking of but i'm glad we went back to it james we're talking about only the four 
first episodes of the season and we're going to do the last four in a second episode prior to when season two premieres but i gotta tell you i've already watched the whole first season and i really enjoy it so far so i'm glad we're doing this let's do this yeah well uh, from my point of view i really didn't know anything about this show what i knew about this going into it i was like i okay neil gaiman uh the golden compass uh movie which i did not watch Right. Yep. <laughs> not, not the right author. Nicole Kidman. I did not watch the movie because I heard it got bad reviews. It did get awful reviews. I also didn't watch the movie. But I did read a lot about it recently. And it is posited that the movie did poorly. You know, because they stripped a lot out of the movie that was important to the books. They were pressured, the studio that is, to take out almost every mention or reference to religion, which is what the book is about. And by book, I mean three books. It's like if Lord of the Rings was one movie. So his Dark Materials takes place in a alternate reality. It's England, but not our England. A different England where everything is steampunk and everyone has a lifelong spirit animal companion who is the physical manifestation of your soul and the animal changes depending on, on on your personality i guess is that is that part of it i, I sort of intuited yes. that like okay yeah they're called daemons they are malleable as are you prior to puberty so based on how you're feeling how you're vibing they will change the first two episodes of this series are directed by tom hooper of king speech cat slam is and the john adams miniseries fame he was tasked with creating the world off the bat as a ep and the director of the first two episodes he's like ridley scott to raised by wolves except for they didn't call this tom hooper's his dark materials you know what i mean because he did the first two episodes and he left and he was like you don't have to put my name on this it's not mine it's in fact jack thorns the guy who helped jk rowling write the play version of cursed child for harry potter but as you just said it's dense in exposition at the beginning There's a lot of stuff you have to explain before you can really even get into the plot. Like, we haven't even talked about dust yet. James, what's dust? Well, I gotta tell you, like when I started Game of Thrones the first time, that's what made me think of, like, I can follow basically Lyra's story and, and what's going on there, but I don't have a great grasp on everything that's going on, like, in the world building, and maybe since you've seen the whole first season, you would know better than me, but... The main character of the show is a 12-year-old girl named Lyra, and her uncle, who is Professor X, is an explorer in the North Pole, where he researches magic and dust and stuff. And he comes back to Jordan College in Oxford to give a presentation on this disembodied head that he found, and on this magic substance called dust, which is a problem because you're not supposed to look into that stuff according to their religion, which runs their society through the bureaucratic and all-powerful magisterium. Right. Because Lyra's a precocious scamp. She meets up with him before the presentation, and she saves him from getting poisoned, and then she's hiding in the cupboard when he gives his big reveal to all the other professors, like, hey, look at this. Magic is real. Look, I took a photograph of the dust in the Aurora Borealis. There's another city. There's another world out there. Parallel dimension. Wheels within wheels. Which is heresy to the magisterium. They are trying to control everybody and having magic be real is the exact opposite of control. As you said earlier, this world is a lot like ours, but a bit stunted. 
There are dirigibles still. There aren't any cell phones. Where Buckingham Palace would be is the Magisterium's home base. And they are the reason for said stunting of said world. Because they're just like, no, are you thinking? You're trying to become more intelligent and put thought and curiosity into what you do on a daily basis? How dare you? You shut the heck up. Yeah, God hates that, okay? And God they call the authority. So her uncle, who, you know, it's it's just a joke to call him Professor X. He is actually, what is his name? His name is Lord... Asriel. Asriel. And he is played by James McAvoy. James McAvoy, who I like a lot. X-Men Split... Uh, actually, not too recently, before I even knew we were watching this show or that he was in this show, my wife and I watched Atonement rewatch for me, first time for her. I like that movie a lot, too. He's just a good actor in everything. Yeah, he's an incredible actor. And it's very obvious that he was able to do this role. I mean, James McAvoy is a very large movie star. He is not going to be seen on many television shows it was a bit more simple i think this role than many other television series roles because lord asriel is truly like in the beginning and the end and doesn't have a lot to do with the middle he's a quest that is being sought after in the middle and not actually a part of it but it's obvious when lord asriel and lyra speak in the pilot that he has been a part of her life as her uncle for like the last 12 years. In fact, the first thing that happens in the show is a part of, it's like a prologue that was actually part of another book in another trilogy in the same world where he, during a flood, drops Lyra as a baby off along with the altheometer which we haven't even discussed yet to the jordan college and it's just like uh scholar whatever you're this is your baby now okay bye Uh, and then he shows back up and lyra's like what are you you're amazing explorer you're one of the coolest people in the world what are you doing he's like get away from me so listeners if you're thinking like wow they're explaining a lot this sounds complicated It, it is but it's not really presented in the show like the way we're explaining it the show is a little bit over an hour long each time and so the stuff kind of you know drifts uh by at a, at, a, at a more even pace than how we're presenting it but it but it is complicated it is it but it's like a textbook you have in high school or college where there are words throughout chapters that are emboldened and they're like okay these are the words you gotta know and as long as you know the definitions of those words you'll be fine We're in a multiverse. There's a lot of different worlds, but we're only in one of them for the moment. Perhaps later we'll get into another one. And, you know, dust is uh, consciousness and... Demons are spirit animals. Yeah, you have your own spirit animal, which is awesome. I want my own spirit animal. That sounds sick. James McAvoy, through his research as Lord Asriel, shows that dust is attracted to adults to kind of lands on you and gets all up in your shit after puberty so which is by the way at the same time where your daemon stops turning into different things it settles on one form kind of like when you go from being a child to an adult a loss of innocence so on and so forth this p.s by the way this is an allegory for adam and eve it's like right off the bat know that (laughs) Asriel basically, you know, blows everybody's hats off with this presentation that he gives when he shows the the hidden city in the sky. 
and they give him more funding to continue on with his North Pole research. And so he leaves, and of course, Lyra wants to go too, but he doesn't take her with him because it'll be a perilous journey. She and her best friend Roger try to race up to the ship, but it's already taken off. I gotta say, the child actors in this show, pretty good. On balance, British child actors, better than American child actors. Yeah, overall, a lot better. Mostly just because Lyra, the main character, is great, and Roger is really great. The way they found him was that he was in a movie, I think, called Aeronauts that Tom Hooper directed and Jack Thorne wrote. And he's just good when he yells up at Lord Asriel as Lord Asriel is leaving them both behind as Lyra is like, come on, take me. And Lord Asriel is like, F off. Roger's like, she's special. And I believed him when he said that. He believes it. He knows it. And then Lord Asriel shouts back at him, everyone's special. And I was like, okay. Right, but as we already know from The Incredibles... If everyone's special, then nobody's special. Does The Incredibles posit that? That feels like a real downtrodden, nobody's special, everyone move on with your lives. Close your eyes and run through life until you run into a wall. The Incredibles. So while that's going on, there's a subplot where these seafaring nomads known as the Egyptians, kind of like, you know, in this universe's counterpart to like... The Roma people, the gypsies of Europe. They are kind of like outside the law river folk. And they're passing through Oxford when one of the children in their community is kidnapped. And they all say it's by the gobblers. And now I'm imagining like enormous turkey monsters that eat people. But that that's not what they are. No, opportunity missed. But yes, as you said, there are children getting yanked up in here mainly from the Egyptians, the poor river folk who are nomads, as you mentioned. And they're like, okay, there are like 16 children gone. The gobblers, the ominous gobblers, who we don't know who they are or what they want with these children, are most likely doing it. A lot of people think they're a myth, but many of the Egyptians know that they are not The Egyptians are led by John Fa, who is played by Lucien Mizumati, and he played Salvador San in Game of Thrones. He's also named after a historical character from Scotland, like a real actual guy. And his partner, Farder Corum, played by James Cosmo, who is Jor Mormont. So this is just one of those things where, like, if you're a British actor, you've definitely been in game of thrones and also probably definitely been in harry potter like there's a 50 50 chance you've been in one of those series and or movies so they decide that probably the gobblers are stealing kids out of the countryside and taking them to london where it is easier to traffic children meanwhile now with her uncle gone lyra is kind of crestfallen thinking she's going back to her normal life as just a resident in the college when the glamorous and mysterious Miss Coltier, played by Ruth Wilson, arrives at the college. Uh, a guest of the kindly headmaster who says he wants to protect Lyra, uh, but he's also like handing her over to Miss Coltier. Miss Coltier is like on the surface nice to Lyra, but like everything about her performance is just like, I'm evil. I'm secretly evil right. and I'm going to exactly. be evil to you. She's one of those characters that when she steps on screen, the audience is like, 
I think that might be the antagonist. And so the headmaster gives Lyra something to protect her, and it's the golden compass, but he doesn't call it the golden compass, all right? I thought he would. I thought somebody would say that at Mm. some point. Nobody does. No, it's the altheometer, and it's not called the golden compass because it was never called the golden compass in the first book. The first book is called Northern Lights, but they renamed it. It was a Philosopher's Stone situation for America because Americans are dumb. I know that from experience. I am one. So they renamed it the Golden Compass. And in the second book, Philip Pullman already knew this. And he was like, uh, yeah, so that Golden Compass thingy. Like he literally wrote that as a line in the second book to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah no, it's always been kind of called that. Don't worry about it. And this device will tell you the truth, right? And I think you know, Lyra at first, she thinks it's like the compass from pirates of the caribbean she's yes. like where's my uncle and nothing happens that compass from pirates of the caribbean is a very very simplified version of the altheometer it just wow. tells jack sparrow what and where the thing he wants most is the altheometer has goddamn like 30 pictures on it three points that you have to put in different places and also for most people they have to use years and years of their life to figure out exactly what the answer even means and how to use it in the first place. But Lyra kind of by intuition figures it out very quickly because she's a special little girl. She also asks Miss Coltier, like, hey, can I bring my friend Roger? He's a good kid. He's an orphan like me. And and we'll have so much fun together. And Miss Coltier, pretty cool. She's like, yeah, sure, whatever, if you want to. But then... Oh, that night, Roger gets also kidnapped by the gobblers. Coincidence? You told Miss Cotier about Roger and then, yank, he's gone. So while the Egyptians are also heading to London to look for the kids from their community, Miss Cotier tells Lyra, like, hey, why don't we go to London together and we'll find your friend Roger, I'm sure. It's just a big coincidence that that's where I wanted to go in the first place. And she also makes this remark like, well, we should definitely look for Roger in London. Because that's definitely where a stranger would take a kidnapped kid. So now let's go to London, kidnapped kid. Like, <laughs> Yes, all very convenient. And Lyra's a smart little lady. I think if she wasn't so smitten by someone wanting to care for her, she would have seen through this facade faster. But for all intents and purposes, she's an orphan. So when someone is like hey you want to come with me she's like uh i guess so and doesn't see through the thin veneer that she's obviously evil until it is presented to her directly but you're right like it basically is like we should go to london i bet that's where he is and and lyra should have been like hey, well, why do you know that <laughs> and miss culty would be like shut up you shut up all right that's episode one it took us 25 minutes to explain <laughs> To be fair, episode one is the basis of the entire world, and a lot of it is like, okay, here are some definitions of some words. Let's all move on to the plot of episode two, the idea of North. They get to London, they move into Coltier's amazing chateau apartment where she has the entire floor to herself. And she's got all these rooms and a veranda. And, and you know, Lyra loves it. She's like, oh, I'm worried about my kidnapped friend, though. And Coltier's like, no, no, you enjoy living in the lap of luxury while the fate of your best friend is totally precarious. And we should say Coltier's spirit animal is an ugly orange monkey. Wow, He's always got, ugly? like, a, a stink face on. I thought he was a cutie. Yeah, he's the golden monkey. He doesn't talk. 
He looks like he's also been beaten a bunch, kind of getting the words beaten out of him over time, abused by Miss Coltier because she's kind of a dick. And we should also mention Lyra's spirit animal slash daemon is named Pan and, you know, goes between a whole lot of things. But all the things that Pan is are real goddamn cute. We also get a scene of like the bad guys in the Magisterium headquarters. They're saying like, oh, did you hear Professor X brought this explorer's head back with him from the North Pole. And the guy's like, well, that that can't be. You know, we go and investigate it. And so we, the, the, the bad guy, Lord Boreal, is like on the case to find the, the, the body of the head, at least, of this explorer and confirm if it's really him or not. So he's going off to Jordan College. Lord Boreal is the man on the streets trying to find Lyra eventually. Yeah, he's the Darth Vader. Yes, and the Emperor is Father McPhail, played by Will Keen, father of Daphne Keen, who plays Lyra. Literally, her wow. father is in the goddamn show. Wonder how you got that rule. Through nepotism, James. <laughs> we need to stop, you know, holding on to your daughter's coattails to get your movie roles. Pathetic. Oh, wow. You are being harsh, but I think fair. <laughs> so what, 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 what wouldn't you know? Life living with Miss Coltier, not all it's cracked up to be. She's really creepy. She has a penchant to say something creepy and then stare off into the distance. And she also has like, you know, a mysterious office that you're not allowed to go in that's off limits. And she she's agitating to get some action done on searching for her friend. And Miss Coltier is like, hey, I said I would handle it. All right. You stop talking about that. Children are supposed to be seen and not heard. Just, you know, that kind of stuff. And then over time, Lyra begins to rebel against Miss Coltier as she is seen eavesdropping on Miss Coltier and Father mcphail's conversations at which point miss coltier has her daemon the golden monkey attack pan and we see in this moment that damage is transferable here if somebody kills the daemon they kill you and vice versa right and i that was something that i was thinking of from the very beginning i'm like so you know the daemon's like transforming it's my soul if it gets eaten by an alligator like do i die apparently yes that's the case and it was a very gaslighty scene where, you know, Miss Coltier basically threatened death to Lyra if she doesn't do what she wants. And then afterwards, she's just like, I'm just doing this for your own good. You know that, right? And Lyra's like, uh, yeah, totally. Well, Lyra, in an attempt to fight back a little bit, she's like, you can't do this. My uncle is a powerful man and he'll stop you. And she's like, your uncle, your uncle's a terrible father to you. Whoops. I let that slip. Oh my god. So, second episode in, we find out that Lord Azriel has been lying to Lyra this entire time and is father. So, her name is Lyra Bellalacqua, which is definitely how you say it, because that's his name as well. And she, Miss Coltier, that is, seems really miffed about this, like more than someone who is just a rando should be to Lyra. The other big bombshell in this episode, which, like, really, I'm like, what, 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 we're doing this in episode two? Really? Boreal travels to what seems to be our reality and meets with a private investigator. And he's like, yeah, the skull that they supposedly had of this explorer, not really his. I think he's still out here somewhere in, you know, Earth A. Right. This is more like our world because it doesn't have 
the oppressing magisterium. Right, and they have iPhones. Right. The magisterium isn't suppressing curiosity and knowledge and research in this world that is much more like ours. And also, he goes through a window, it's called, you know, from one world to another. And that is not in the books until, I think, the beginning of the second one. So they did bring that in earlier because one of the main protagonists, who we're going to meet a little later, also doesn't get introduced to you until the second book. And I think the person making the show, Jack Thorne, was like, I mean... If we're going to tell you who Eve is right at the beginning of the season, we have to at least tell you who Adam is at some point. We can't just wait till season two like they do in the books. Attention spans aren't like that in the real world. Oh, and by the way, Miss Coltier is goddamn leader of the gobblers. Yeah, she's a gobbler. Gobbling up all our fun. God, your mom's hot. I get it. Yep. No one else will. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's some deep shit a reporter at the party takes lyra aside she's like oh hey did you know that the woman you're living with is the leader of the gobblers pretty interesting huh and Lyra's obviously disturbed she decides in that moment that her and pan are going to take the golden compass and escape i'm going to keep calling it the golden compass yeah it's just that's better my, my only frame of reference <laughs> and also it's just i think an easier thing to say than altheometer at this point the journalist who told lyra the bad news is escorted out by Lord Boreal, who puts her in a car and then murders her by squishing her daemon. Yeah, her daemon's a little butterfly, and uh, that kind of shows it would be pretty dangerous to have such a flimsy daemon, because, you know, okay, yeah, Boreal crushed it in his hand, but, like, it could also have just been eaten by a dragonfly, and then they're like, oh, now I'm dead. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, real bummer. You lived till 34 years old till a random dragonfly killed you, idiot. Also, I think this moment is indicative of the rest of the show and by proxy the books. This story is not afraid to kill people off. You can meet people and they might die immediately. You can meet someone at the beginning and it doesn't mean that they're going to make it to the end, which is important for, you know, like for stakes and to care about characters. And at the end of episode two, Lyra and Pan do have like an escape scene and they make it out, but they get caught by a gobbler right away. And then we go on to season one, episode three, The Spies, the first episode not directed by Tom Hooper, who flew away on a magic Les Mis broomstick. He got on a Zeppelin and then took off for the rest of the next four episodes. So the gobblers are also in London and they're hot on the tail of the missing kids. They, they, they tried to look for him in episode two, but it was a dead end. So now Billy has an older brother, Tony, who just had his like Egyptian bar mitzvah where his animal like turned into a hawk for good. It's not going to change anymore, which means you're a man. Mazel tov. Right. We also know that means the dust has descended upon him, which marks the end of his childhood and the beginning of his adulthood. He's got Egyptian friend Benjamin and they're both like on their own trying to see what they can figure out at the gobblers. And luckily they run into Lyra and Pan and they're able to save them and take them to the Egyptian camp where I think, you know, at first Lyra's like a little suspicious. He's like, yeah, I've been kidnapped by a lot of adults and it's not working out for me my whole life. But these guys are good. Yeah, they seem chill. After this, 
Miss Coltier goes to Jordan College and is like, okay, master, I know you know where Lyra is. And the master's like, I actually have no idea where she is. I gave her to you to keep her safe, and then you lost her, you dick. Meanwhile, Boreal goes back to what I, I guess is our world, or if not, a world extremely similar to it, to find out what his private eye got on the headless explorer man, who it turns out is from our world, and his name in our world is Perry. He has a goofier name in, in Earth B. But uh, Boreal says, like, oh, that's not possible because he had a daemon. And the, the private eye is like, well, I don't know what to tell you because yeah. he's from this world. He was born here. In Lyra's world, his name is Stanislaus Grumman. And he is played by Andrew Scott, who you might know, and I definitely know, as Moriarty from the Sherlock series and the priest in Fleabag. And just like, you know... One of the greatest British talents alive today. So the mother of the kidnapped boy, she knows Lyra from when she was an infant. And she tells her this story like, yeah, your dad is Lord Asriel. He had an affair with a married woman and you were born and there was Egyptian nurse and it was me. But then the affair came out and Asriel like basically had a duel with the husband and killed him but because he did that he lost his status and all his riches and then his mistress went crazy and that's your mom and that's miss coltier so we're in episode three we already know right. <laughs> lyra is not an orphan her father is lord asriel her mother is miss coltier both of those characters obviously know about lyra and who she is and where she's been and we just you know learned a lot about the main characters very very quickly the mother who is egyptian by the way his name is ma costa she is played by Anne marie duff who's fiona and shameless and she is in the books you know it's one of the main problems book readers had apparently with the first season of the show in the book she is described as like mrs weasley like hard-headed stubborn mm -hmm. protective and she gets there, I think, eventually in the first season, but she starts off a bit too weak for the book reader's likings. And by the way, the book readers generally like the first season, according to the internet. But that okay. is one of the main criticisms that they had of the first season of His Dark Materials. HDM, baby! So Lyra is going to join the Egyptian cause because like, they're looking for their kids and she's looking for her friend. They're together, so why not? And Tony, the, the missing Egyptian kid's brother and his friend, want to do like a daring midnight raid on Kyoto's apartment to look for the kids there. And all the adults say, no, you can't do it. Then they go do it anyway. And like they, they, they find some dirt on her in the apartment and and i was like oh no she's gonna like sick her monkey on them but instead she takes out a gun and starts shooting them and i was like okay right. this, yeah, this is different from what i thought would happen <laughs> tony gets away but benjamin doesn't he does the equivalent of taking a cyanide pill and jumps down an elevator shaft so he can't be tortured and gained any information from at the same time john fa the leader of the egyptians along with his partner in crime, Farder Koram, which I need to take an aside. These two characters, I think, to me, represent what makes TV shows that are based on great books better than TV shows, especially in the sci-fi and fantasy genre, that aren't. 
I care about these two characters more than I care about main characters in Raised by Wolves and the mm-hmm. and the like. You know what I mean? They're fleshed out yeah. immediately. The guy who plays Jorah Mormont and in this show is named Farter Corum. I care about that man more than my life itself. If anything bad happens to him, I riot. We should also say that Madame Cotier like raided the college and she found out that Lyra has the golden compass. And then she also released these two spy bugs to go and look for her. And the spy bugs do eventually catch her at the Egyptian caravan and one of them gets away and gives Madame Coltier the information like, oh, Lyra's here. And that that's the end of episode three. And these spy bugs are even against magisterium use. They are outside of the rules, but Miss Coltier don't give shit about any of the rules. She is a lady who believes that the ends justify the means. So even when she knows she's going to be reprimanded by the Magisterium, she is going to find Lyra. Her reason for doing so is complicated. She wants the Golden Compass. Her motherly instincts also sort of matter. She wants to know that Lyra is safe, even though she's like, if anyone's going to kill Lyra, it's going to be me. Oh yeah, we should also say like the two boys who raided her apartment, like they succeeded in that they got the intel that She's got the kids and she's taking them to the north. And so the Egyptian caravan decides like, oh, we're all going to head north as well. And their next stop is a place called Trollisand. Yeah. And a really king of the north moment as they, John Fa, that is, convinces a boat full of people to go north, a place where the river folk don't normally go. But it was very much like a inspirational speech at halftime. They've stolen a bunch of our children. Let's go get them back and murder people. King of the North. So now we're in episode four called Armor. And right off the bat, crazy episode, because what the fuck? Oh, it's Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton, out of nowhere, playing Texan aeronaut Lee Scoresby, who has a daemon. Her name is Hester. By the way, daemons are usually like the opposite gender of the person. I don't know if that's always purposeful. And in the movie, Lee Scoresby is played by Sam Elliott, the narrator of The Big Lebowski. Yeah, those are two pretty different actors. Yes. Sam Elliott is like a low-voiced, actual goddamn cowboy. You know, a Texan through and through. I don't know if he's actually from Texas, but like you can picture him that way. And Mm -hmm. his Dark Materials did not go that direction. They picked a Latin bro famous for making perhaps the most well-known musical of all time, Lin-Ma-Ma-Ma-Ma-Ma-Ma. Right. Well, I think it's only fair now for Sam Elliott to be able to get to do a season as Alexander Hamilton on Broadway. Yes. After the restrictions are lifted and Broadway is reinstated, Sam Elliott as Hamilton must occur. That means Daniel Craig will be playing Lafayette slash Jefferson. Madison will be Robert Pattinson. Angelica will be Nicole Kidman. <laughs> I'm going to keep thinking about this, James. You keep going with that, the this, plot. Uh, it sounds like that show might be bad, but I mean, we'll have to see. We'll, we'll, maybe we can fix fix it in rehearsal. These people are called ringers, James. Okay? They come in and they ring. Nicole Kidman. He is also on his way to Charleston in the north, and he meets up with an armored bear, which they've been making reference to in the past episodes. It's a race of sentient giant bears who wear armor 
Polar Bears, that is. And this one's name is Yorick. Yorick Bjornsson, played by Joe Tandberg, who does his voice and is the mocap operator. I think it's important to note all of the daemons in this show and the gigantic polar bears are puppets first. The puppetry actually occurs on stage. They do like a shot with the puppet and then they do a shot without it so that the actor has something to look at while they're acting. That's better, I think. Because it's probably way better to act against a puppet. Oh, it has to be. And then the eventual CGI has an actual reference. So this guy's both doing the voice and the puppeteering. Like, I would have never thought if I didn't find it on the internet that they did that. I'd be like, oh, those are CGI and they're looking at a tennis ball yeah I, I, there's a famous anecdote of ian mckellen while shooting the hobbit he's like acting against five tennis balls and he just starts crying he's like i did not get into acting for this <laughs> oh which by the way ian mckellen was the voice of yorick bjornson in the golden oh, compass it's all connected people it really really is so the bear is upset because the magistration uh he's supposed to be an armored bear they took his armor away he wants it back yes his armor is like a person's daemon he is not complete without it also i think it's probably important to note if you like separate a daemon from a person like take them more than like 20 or 30 feet apart they feel pain and might be dead except for miss coltier yeah she can and they walk never away explain the that but the monkey can be far away from Miss Coltier, like she's a goddamn witch. The Egyptians and Lyra are also coming to the same place to go on their journey. And we get some other characters in this one. So Farter Coram is looking for his ex-girlfriend, who's a witch by the name of Serafina. And, and he's going to try to get her help to look for the missing kids as well. So quite a motley crew we're putting together. And we'll eventually meet Serafina. And as she enters the screen later, she ups the power quote. Do you know what I mean? Like a mm-hmm. Super Saiyan enters the ring and you're like, oh, I didn't know goddamn Goku was here. Same with Yorick. It's like, okay, now we have a fellowship of the ring. Like, Yes, except for if Gimli was a gigantic polar bear and Gandalf was a flying witch who goes at light speed and can stab people. So they, 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 you know, they get the dream team together. They have a witch and a polar bear and Alexander Hamilton, and they're all going to work together to confront the gobblers at the North Pole. And first they get Yorick, his armor back. It's locked up in the church. There's a scene where he busts, like you see in the trailer, he busts out with the armor on. And he's a giant monster bear. Yes, and he attacks the town sheriff. And we have to say, 2019-2020, terrible year to be a sheriff on HBO. Yeah, not great. But this one is played by Harry Melling. His name is Sisselman. But he is known best for being Dudley goddamn Dursley in the Harry Potter movies. And also, by the way, he plays Harry Beltic in The Queen's Gambit, which is on Netflix right now. And people should watch it. It's so goddamn good. There's also a subplot going on with Miss Kiltier where they try to fire her for being crazy. And they're going to replace her with Father McPhail. And in the end, she gets one over on them because she's like, oh, well, I can tell you where Lord Asriel is. He's with these bears and, and only I know where he is. So if you want me to get Asriel and hand him over to you, you have to let me continue to be the crazy leader of the gobblers. And you have to give me a golden compass. And they're like, okay, fine. Deal. Jesus Christ. Coltier, you got me again. And this is also how we learn that Yorick Bjornsson is the 
rightful heir to the bear people. Right. He's, He's the, the bear, bear prince. prince. Yes. But he was exiled and told to leave because he killed another bear, apparently. And the new bear leader is Yofer Rackinson. And that guy is sitting on his seat. And Yorick is both real sad about it, disenfranchised, and needs a little help from his friends. So Coldier goes to see the bear king and she's like, I will make you a bear king priest if you do bad things with me. And he says, yes. That sounds great. I would love to do that. I'm a gigantic polar bear. So what I liked about these first four episodes is that, you know, I, 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 I wasn't always 100% what was going on, but I kind of like that. I don't really love it when a show is always holding your hand all the time, right? It's a little bit condescending. And it is an extremely original story. It's not too much like things I'm familiar with. I would say the closest parallel I have to what's going on in his Dark Materials would be like Full Metal Alchemist, the show, not the manga, where like it's kind of taking place in an alternate reality that's parallel to ours. And it's like a steampunk reality where there's magic and shit. And I like that anime. And so anything that can remind me of that, I like. Does Dust remind you at all of Midi-Chlorians from Star Wars? Well, to be honest, I don't really know what's going on with Dust yet. I still don't really understand how Dust is going to play in this story. Yeah. Well, then we can revisit that because I think, you know, the first book was published in 1995. And Midi-Chlorians, by the way, wasn't a exact original thought either, but a substance, a tangible dust that represents consciousness is this is philip pullman didn't invent that but we'll get more into it i tweeted today and i wanted to get your vibe on this exact tweet Mm -hmm. so hbo's current flagship show is actually barry starring bill Hader, at 1.5 million people in episode watching the third season of westworld was 0.81 million and down 48 percent on the year watchmen was at 0.75 lovecraft was at 0.74 perry mason was at 0.93 but it was at very but it was very very low in the 18 to 49 demo which is what's most important usually and our next podcast this one the first season rated at a 0.42 so less than all of those things i just said and And, you know, for reference, the end of Game of Thrones was at like 11 to 15 million people a week watching. And the beginning of Game of Thrones was still at like, you know, 2 million. The flagship shows of HBO over time have been The Sopranos, True Blood, Boardwalk Empire. Westworld was supposed to be the heir apparent, but it has become wildly clear that that will not be the case. And... We don't know if there will ever be another Game of Thrones on HBO. Until there's another Game of Thrones on HBO. Right, exactly. But after watching the first four episodes, and to be transparent, I've watched the entire first season, His Dark Materials is of a quality that I think it deserves to have that amount of audience. It deserves to get the shot to be a flagship show on HBO. But according to the numbers, you know, it's 1.5 million people less than the first season of Game of Thrones got. So it's never going to reach the height that Game of Thrones did. Well, we don't we don't know that. Mm, I, no, we don't know that. But my, my question to you is, do you think it has a chance? And if not, what do you think is holding it back? I'm interested now. I'm, I'm glad we watched it. Major Woody, you were right. You can take that W to the bank. Um, yeah, don't cash it, though. 
I don't necessarily know that it'll take off like like nothing's going to take off like Game of Thrones, right? There hasn't been another Game of Thrones since Game of Thrones came out. Nothing also, even close, right? There's only going to be three seasons of this show, so it won't have the longevity to work with as well, right? And it's also associated with a like a uh, I think a book series that people think of as YA, and I don't even know if it's YA because I haven't read it, but I think you know. That's what I thought it was, and so that's what I assume other people think it is. People do associate it with YA, while the author is just like, no! And uh, maybe those are some of the reasons why the viewership isn't as high, but I really like it. I'm I'm glad we checked it out. Uh, I'm interested to see where season one goes. We will talk about it next week. And season two, what, two weeks from now? Yep. Good. November 16th on HBO, I believe November 8th on BBC, where it airs originally. I was thinking for this show to pop off, I think the parameter is it needs Catholicism slash Christianity to hate it, right? Like, Watchmen did decently well because half the people were hate watching it. His Dark Materials, you know, the movie prior, The Golden Compass, the studio felt so much pressure from Catholics and Christians that they removed all aspects of religion from the story, which hobbled the story completely because the story is about religion. It's literally an allegory for Adam and Eve turned on its head. So I don't know. Maybe if the second season leans into maybe Satan had a point, question mark? I don't know. Like It feels like there needs to be articles about how his dark materials needs to be band you know for its popularity right. sake and I, I i don't know how deep we want to get into this but i remember when the golden compass came out i did not watch the golden compass nor did i watch the lion the witch and the wardrobe but i remember reading like a few headlines or reviews that were like look at this audiences hate the golden compass audiences love the lion the witch and the wardrobe therefore atheism is defeated and right. christianity is the best look at that see we proved it with movies and i literally watched a interview today with philip pullman the writer of his dark materials saying that c.s lewis is burning in hell <laughs> and because he, he's like there's a part in the lion the witch in the wardrobe where a little boy has a parent dying of cancer and then he goes to another world and gets a magic apple and then gives the magic apple to the parent and they're all better now they don't have cancer anymore and he's like c.s lewis is burning in hell for that because some kid somewhere is reading that and is like oh i just have to go get a magic apple and you won't have cancer anymore that's not how it works kid before we wrap up the show ryan i do want to ask you what would your spirit animal be if you lived on his dark materials planet my spirit animal would be pumbaa from the lion king okay and but a lady like version. From the line. Oh, okay all right lady pumbaa because it seems that it tracks that most of the daemons are the opposite gender. So, yeah, I'm going to go Lady Pumbaa. How about you? I I think I I would like, you know, there are a lot of people with bird daemons. The Egyptians all have birds, right? I think I think that looks pretty cool. It does. I think it's just practical as well. Yeah. So you're going right, to have we'll a join it. No, 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 no. You're going to have a vague okay. bird? I don't know. Maybe a migratory bird, because you know, I, 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 I'm also Name a migratory a species, human. coward. Uh, I don't know what what's the migratory bird. Uh, <laughs> Google migratory bird right now. Migratory bird. All birds. Ah, <laughs> uh, the Canadian goose. Oh, <laughs> very nice, James and the Canadian goose. Sounds like a goddamn mm. fairy tale I'd read. Join us next week, guys. We're going to hit up the rest of season one. That's episodes four through eight. And then also 
we will have bonus content coming out on the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash HBO boys. Check that out. We're also on Twitter. He's at Westworld Ryan. I'm at James Watches Men. That has nothing to do with the show Watchmen. That, that is uh, an unfortunate typo that I made. <laughs> it just references your proclivities. I want it to be James Washes Men, right? But that was Yeah, there it is. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> By the way, like James just said, you can go over to our Patreon. It's just a dollar a month. You get a bunch of extra stuff, including this. I read your name at the end of every main channel episode, and those names are Hardboiled Greg, Nicole, Day 11 Podcast, James Watch My Dong, Cliff Wilding, Hello Underscore Yo, Atheist Unstoppable, Chris Wood, Brent Ginn, Day 11 Westworld, Greg, Bakaman, John Durs, Major Woody, and Carol Andreas. Thank you for the dollar dollar bills, comma y'all. The one time I had a joke prepared, you didn't prompt me to do it. Okay. Well, that's because this is a new podcast, new me, James. James, watch my right. dong. What's the joke prepared, baby? I was going to say I don't watch them. I wash them. That was a typo. It's going to be a reference to the other joke I made on it. Mm, that would have been good if it had ever happened, which it didn't.